It's my privilege to introduce Burt Jones. We had a few things to say about him before the Bible class, but want to introduce him again at this hour and certainly express our deep appreciation to him for a wonderful beginning to our series uh, with the lesson on authority, something that is so timely and he presented it very clearly and very well as we knew he would and we know that will continue to be the case as he speaks to us this hour. And remember, tonight, as he mentioned, at 6, we'll begin the workshop portion of the meeting, which will continue Monday and Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. And this workshop, as we mentioned in the bulletin, is not just for song leaders, but for every member. And we anticipate uh, having participation from area congregations. We have visitors even this morning. And all of us, I know, will be blessed and uplifted from being here. Bird, as he mentioned, is a native of uh, Alabama, from Gadsden, Alabama. Spent most of his life as an Episcopalian, was converted by Brother Charles Box uh, in Alabama, and almost immediately, just days later, came to the Memphis School of Preaching, where I first met him, came there as a uh, student. And uh, a fine student he was, and a fine gospel preacher he has been. Uh, since that time. He was a combat officer during the Vietnam era, retired as a colonel from the Army, and uh, as we said, a graduate not only of Memphis School of Preaching, but he also has a B.S. in music education from Jacksonville State University and a master's in Middle Eastern history from Youngstown State uh, University. He has composed the hymn, Safe in the Arms, in his arms, and is the author of a practical handbook for singing and song leading, Shadowland, Islam Behind the Veil. Uh, he co-authored with Brad Harab the book Diamonds in the Rough and co-authored with John Shannon a book entitled Here It Is in Black and White. And a book, uh, Bert will have his books uh, tonight uh, in the back uh, for those who would like to look at them and, and uh, purchase those books. He uh, has spoken at the Air Force Academy at Camp David Symposiums, of course on GBN, radio and television, and at polishing the pulpit. Uh, Bird is a dear friend. Uh, he is a fine, faithful Christian uh, gentleman and uh, very well qualified to uh, carry out the task that we've asked him to carry out. And it's been my privilege to be in these workshops on more than one occasion. And I always am excited about them and always benefit from them, as I know all of us will. So we strongly encourage you to be back at 6 tonight and fully take part. And I thank Brian for his uh, good efforts in getting the songs on the screen and doing such a fine uh, job. Used his pitch pipe very well uh, there. And we just get that arm moving now. That's all. <laughs> Bert can get his arm moving. Yeah, he can handle that. Uh, we appreciate it very, very much, Brian, all of our men who, who lead our singing here. Without further delay, Brother Bert Jones will come down and speak to us. I think the singing went extremely well this morning. My dear brother who made the announcements, I noticed he was thoughtful enough to wear the Texas lapel pin that he has on. <laughs> if he can get me, I can get him. <laughs> I have heard so many nice things about, about you here in this congregation. Uh, if you're smart, you will just settle back, go about God's work, Work with good elders, a good preacher I've known for years, his wife. Uh, <clears throat> no, she's good. And you will go to heaven. It's that simple. I hope that you'll do it.
was it five or six o'clock tonight? You said five, I think. Is it six or five? Six, six. six o'clock. What'd you say five for? <laughs> Look at him. He said he was a little slow. Oh, 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 forget that. It's 666. Now, the lesson this morning is on instrumental music. Is it a matter of faith or is it a matter of opinion? I've heard some of my gospel preaching friends sort of get swayed here in the last 10 years or so. Well, you know what? I guess some parts of it are okay to accompany with an instrument. No, it's not. I have a degree in music, and if anybody thought that, it would be me. That's a logical thought. But as I mentioned in the Bible study class this morning, the thing that one of the things that led me to the Lord's church were voices being raised in praise to God, uncluttered by those things. We don't hate music for our visitors. Some of the best best singers I've ever heard are in the Lord's church. It's not about that at all. It's about the authority, and we'll learn this. And if you will come tonight, tomorrow night, and the next night, you can learn how to read music. Well, yeah, Bert, but I don't know. There are seven tones, and I will not let seven tones in the scale defeat me. It's just not that difficult to do. And we'll have fun. We'll learn a lot. And when you go on vacation down to Florida or down to wherever, and you pick up a strange songbook and look at it, you'll be able to read the song. If you can get C-A-N apostrophe T out of your vocabulary. Now, the next 10 years, I think the problems facing the church will not be those problems that we have outside the Lord's church. But I think they'll be those found within. And I hate to live in 2024 and think of 2014 as being the good old days in the Lord's church. If our body becomes corrupt, then all those good souls who have moved on to glory, all the work they did, all the work that you're doing, will all have been in vain. And I won't allow, at least on my watch, I won't allow that to happen. And I ask you to search the scriptures and search your hearts and to become active once again and rise up in the name of Christ and to speak boldly to things that God has said. A lady approached me not that long ago in Morrillton, Arkansas. She said it had been 15 years since she had heard a sermon. She had heard references. Since she had heard a sermon on why we're commanded to sing without instrumental music. That is a failing of ours as preachers. I think that God will touch us providentially, not miraculously, with everyone who wants to hear or read these things and, and teach the truth, and they'll preach the word. They'll become urgent. They will reprove. They will rebuke. They will exhort with all long suffering. That means patience. And a lot of times you'll have to have patience for those that are learning how to lead singing or how to sing alone. My subject is instrumental music matters of faith or opinion. And I always think of the story when I think about instrumental music. And the little boy said to his father after worship, when they left, he said, Dad, did, did you give a lot of money? And I said, why, son? I gave what I normally give. He said, well, those folks are so poor, 
you finish it. They couldn't afford a piano. One of the things that we still let get out, are you still going to that congregation over there where they don't have instruments? Well, yeah. Well, why? Now, here's the stock answer. I don't know. We've just always done that. Boy, I would convert me in a minute. Brother Steve, I'd come running down to the church building. Why can't we make them the defensive group for a change? Are you still going over there where they have instruments? Why? And you'll learn this week if you'll come. Today, as has been the truth for over 100 years, there are men within the fellowship of Christ who are raising these questions. There's really nothing much, very, very much black or white within the, within the body of Christ. What they mean is this, truth is not absolute. And I asked one one day, I said, are you absolutely sure about that? This question is not new because in 1858 and when we were in school, we made this visit up through this part of the Ohio Valley and in Midway, Kentucky. And it was raised by Dr. L.L. Pinkerton, a preacher for the Church of Christ in Midway. He says, I'm the only preacher in Kentucky of our brotherhood who has publicly advocated employing instrumental music in some churches. And the church in Midway is the only church that has decided to introduce it. And then we birthed our brother Garvey, got rid of it. Secondly, this issue of instrumental music split the body of Christ over a hundred years ago and resulted in the Christian church. And I have a lesson on that, which is another, another time, another day. But Christians don't have a church. I said, Christians don't have one. Upon this rock I will build my church, my Lord said, but I don't have a church. I'm part of his but we'll just give them that. The Christian church did not change the nature of what they did. In 1875, the break was a reality. So it was not until 1906 that two separate groups were listed in the United States Census of Religious Bodies. And since this time, it's another group called the Disciples of Christ, which is even more liberal. Now, one thought that the scriptures provided an all-sufficient guide in matters of doctrine and worship and morality and the other one felt that where the scriptures did not specifically forbid something, you could use it in your worship. Too long, men and women in the pew have sat and let preachers preach about what they got ready to do. And when you find a preacher that's going bad, an eldership going bad, a lot of people, too many people in the congregation say, oh, well, what can we do? Well, if he's a preacher, you can cut off his paycheck. That somehow helps them to find the truth very quickly. You can do the very same thing that God has always taught his people. And we're very quiet on this. Stand up and be counted and raise your voice against the error. But someone says, Bert, I don't really know what I want. Doctrinally, I don't know what I want. Last year, over 300,000 drills were sold in one town. The drill's not what they wanted. The people wanted the whole. We want heaven, but we don't want to go through study that takes to get to heaven. Instrumental music was authorized. It was allowed as worship under the old law. 
Now, it died when the law of Moses was abolished at the death of Christ. You have to understand this fundamental point because we, if we don't get that, there's no reason we go any further. In 2 Chronicles 5, verses 11 through 14, this is good if you can just make a note of it and read it this afternoon or maybe even now. Men would like for you to believe that instrumental music is a matter of opinion, that it's a matter of expediency, take it or leave it, and yet the Bible very plainly teaches that instrumental music was a part of the worship under the old law. In 2 Chronicles 5, 11 through 14, And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present had sanctified themselves and did not keep their courses. Also the Levites, who were the singers, all of them, even Asaph, Haman, and Jeduthun, and their sons and their brethren arrayed in fine linen with cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them a hundred and twenty priests, hear me, sounding with trumpets. Now hear what they said. <clears throat> it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one. This is during worship. To make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking Jehovah, and when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised Jehovah, saying, For he is good, for his loving kindness endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of Jehovah, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. For the glory of Jehovah filled the house of God. God accepted the worship. God allowed their worship. It involved the singers. It involved all those with instruments of music. And so as far as the law was concerned, it was authorized. Another one, 2 Chronicles 29, verse 25 through 28. And he set the Levites in the house of Jehovah with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps, according to the commandment of David and of Gad the king's seer and Nathan the prophet. Why? For the commandment was of Jehovah by his prophets. God commanded it. It was authorized. It was an authorized element of Old Testament worship. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets and Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when he burnt offering began, the song of Jehovah began also and the trumpets together with the instruments of David, king of Israel. And all the assembly worshiped and the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. All the congregation worshiped. The priest offered burnt offerings on the altars, the singers were singing, and those with the trumpets were playing, and yet inspiration says that they were all worshiping. It was a part of the worship. But just as surely as it was today, it, it is changed. The law of Moses is gone. And I think it's unthinkable that anybody in the church would deny it, but just to make it seem logical so that we can understand it this morning, it's a simple thing to understand. Look at Matthew five seventeen and 18. Matthew five seventeen and 18. Think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, those things under the old law. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill those things that had been under the old law. But rarely I say unto you, till heaven and earth shall pass away, one jot nor one tittle shall in no wise pass away from the law until all things be accomplished. Now, everything about the life of Christ was to fulfill perfectly the law of God. He did that on Calvary. He was born, he lived, and he died under the law of Moses, the only man to keep it perfectly. If we look in the 17th chapter of John in verse 4, he said, Father, I've accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. 
And in Matthew, the fifth chapter, 17, again, he says, I'm, I'm not coming here to destroy. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill the law. It was made full. It was running over with completion. Nothing was left out. And on that cross, at the very end, he said, it's finished. Can you imagine him on that cross? My God. My God. He can't even call him Father because his Father has turned away because he'll have nothing to do with sand. And here you can use any inflection you would like, but the one that I like is this. Why hast thou forsaken me? After all the implication... After all that I've done, that's the human side of him speaking. After all the things I've gone through here on earth, my God, why hast thou forsaken me of all people? He knew. He had known since birth. Now, if there's a repetition of what was found under the old, restated under the new, we don't keep it today because it's in the old. Because the old's been done away with. We live under the new and whatsoever God has commanded us to do is done. Because it's found in the new and by the authority of Christ and his apostles. We live under a new law. We live under the new covenant or the testament in Matthew 26, 28. Jesus says that he instituted the Lord's Supper. This is the new testament, the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many of the remission of sins in Matthew 17, verse 5. God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. How many times have you heard your preacher, Brother Jim, or any other preacher say that Jesus has all the authority that Moses has and all that he didn't have? He has all the authority that David had and all that he did not have. Jesus had all authority. So everything that was under the law is gone once and forever in 2 John 9. And we read this in Bible study this morning, and it's a crucial passage. Whosoever goeth onward and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, which is the New Testament, hath not God. He that abideth in the New Testament, the doctrine of Christ, hath both the Father and the Son. And I thought the other day, no wonder the liberals and sectarians say that this has no application to the teaching of Christ. Because if they can do this, it stops them cold in their tracks. But they can't do it. They can't get around these things. If it's not authorized by Christ, it's not allowed in any way, shape, or form. Every man who wants to justify instrumental music finds himself face-to-face -face with three more passages in the New Testament. In Galatians 1, 6 through 9. <clears throat> Paul says, I am absolutely flabbergasted. Now, that's another translation, Brother Jim. He said, I can't believe you folks. Actually, what it says in the Bible is, I marvel that you are so quickly removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ into a different gospel, which is not another gospel, only there be some that trouble you and bless their hearts they are and would pervert the gospel of Christ, and they are. And he says, but though we or an angel from heaven should preach unto you any gospel other than that which we preached, let him be accursed or anathema. So if we practice instrumental music in our worship, we go beyond the teachings of Christ. It goes beyond the teaching of Christ and his authority. 
Notice what said Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority, we read that this morning. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, and he commissioned the apostles to preach the gospel. He taught the children of God to teach the very same thing, and hopefully that's what we're doing today. It still gives me chills to think that 2014 years later, I'm still preaching what those apostles preached. Not nearly as well, but I'm up here trying. The Bible decently, definitely, definitively teaches that a life of faith is a life that rests on explicit authority. Always has and always will be. When you come to the New Testament, you can find a lot of cases where God has specifically authorized what he wants done. Even on baptism, we don't have a problem. He's specific about it. But we fought the man-made churches over infant baptism a hundred years ago, and we might have to fight our own brethren. I heard of a case not too long ago in Arizona where they have prayer bracelets and they have infant baptism, and it's cute, and they can do this way on their forehead. We're one generation away from doing it our way. That's why God specified sing. Nothing else, sing. And if we do that the way we should and try, instead of using instruments as a crutch, we'll see that it violates the specific command and the authority of Christ. I'm about to list for you. So the next holiday that we have, which I guess would be Easter, although we have it every week, uh, or the 4th of July, or Thanksgiving, or Christmas, or the New Year next year. By the way, how are you doing on your resolutions that you were so fervent about? I've seen a lot of people, they changed 2013 and just made the 13 a 14, and kept the same things they had last year because they didn't plan on doing it anyway. How many of you, are, don't raise your hand, are on a diet? You know, 20 pounds is not bad this time of year. But September 5 is not bad. We adjust our expectations to meet our limitations. We've done it in our education system. We've done it in our ethics. We've done it in our clothing. Now here you dress absolutely, wonderfully, beautifully. I've seen, there's a difference between casual dress and dressing like a bum. And we're supposed to give our best to the master on these things. Number Matthew 26, 30 and Mark 14, 26. This is the first now, don't you dare say when you meet somebody in the hallway at Walmart, I can't think of any of them, but you're just supposed not to sing and use instruments. I'm about to give you the scriptures in the New Testament that tell us why we sing without instruments. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's the first one. Acts 16, 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns unto God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Romans 15.9, just about R-O-M period. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, and it is written, Therefore will I give praise unto thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. 1 Corinthians 1 C-O-R. 1 Corinthians 14.15, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, I will pray with the understanding also, I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. And be not drunken with wine wherein is riot, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking one to another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody within your heart to the Lord. The next one, Colossians 3, just put C-O-L. Colossians three sixteen. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart unto the Lord. Hebrews 2.12 Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation will I sing thy praise. And my favorite one is about to come up. My favorite it leaves no stone unturned. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him then let us offer up a sacrifice of praise to God continually. Here it comes. That is the fruit of lips which make confession to his name. Pianos don't have lips. Trombones don't have lips. Drums and guitars don't have lips. Is that difficult to understand? But it's difficult to follow, isn't it? And the last one? There's several others that could use their duplicates. James 5.13, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. Folks, that's it. That's what the New Testament says about singing. Well, it's not very explicit. It's sort of vague, really. It involves the kind of songs we're supposed to sing. It involves the attitude. It involves the spirit, the manner, the object. It involves everything that God wanted us to do in singing, and it excludes everything else out of it. When God tells you what to do and how to do it, it excludes everything else. If some ladies came into that door, I would not have to tell you that's not my sister. That's not my sister. Those two are not my That's my sister. Those others are not. I don't have to tell you that. I have to tell you who my sister is. I have to tell you what we're to do in our worship. I don't have to tell you what we don't do in our worship. First, the critics of this say that it was used in the, uh, under the Old Testament. It falls of its own weight for the same reasons I just got through mentioning. We're not under the old law anymore. And then again, the one that gets me is the New Testament does not forbid it. Yes, it does. Now listen to this argument. Some of our folks, I guess, would defend taking cocaine for pleasure. We would get a whole bunch more people in here that need it. If we put cocaine in, well, I can't say marijuana anymore because it's becoming legalized. The devil is very smooth and glitzy and, and very subtle. And before long... I hazard to guess if we have gay marriage, woman with woman or man with man, I just feel like we're on a downward spiral sometimes, and that's why we need each other, to help each other in these things. God did not say thou shalt not put cake and ice cream on the Lord's table, but I say it's forgiven because God did authorize what should be done. He authorized fruit of the vine. He authorized bread, period. It's not enough to say that we believe in the Lord's Supper, but we'll take the cake and the ice cream as well. The man that takes the cake and ice cream doesn't believe in the passages that authorize bread and fruit of the vine only. Is that difficult to understand? There's the argument that much likes this. People say it's just like lights and baptistries, just like meeting houses, pitch pipes, Song books, you did a good job, by the way, a while ago. If it is, you're going to have to get rid of them. But it's not. The New Testament teaches us the Word of God. A song book or some like thing 
helps us to sing. It doesn't change the essential nature of the worship service. It doesn't add another element as would playing. If it did, it would be wrong. This here, that doesn't change the doesn't doesn't change the nature of our worship. It's an expedient. It helps. I believe with all my heart that we've shown the case to be that instrumental music violates the authority of Christ. If you're bothered by those commands of men who take liberties with the commandments of God, if you're moved to do anything about it, I would suggest that you follow through with one of those resolutions that you made for this year. I can almost name them because I've heard people mention them to me in the last few weeks. I plan to do better work around the church. I plan to help the elders and the preacher. I plan to go out and visit more. Am I, am I hot so far? I plan to do more as a Christian myself. Well, let me ask you when this miracle is going to take place. I know that I'm not nearly as close as I once was when I first believed. I know that the things out there have come in. But the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Try to imagine yourself someday in paradise and a transfigured soul approaches you and this transfigured soul says hello I didn't know you on earth but you're my great great grandmother and because you taught my great grandmother and my great grandmother taught my mother and my grandmother and my mother taught me because of that, I will be able to share eternity with you forever. Thank you. You see, it's not just your soul that's involved here. It's not just your soul. Your family's been griping at you for years to obey the gospel or at least to come home to a group of people that love you with a love that the world will never be able to match. And you will say, okay, okay yeah, right. And you pass away. Your cycle of life is over. Guess who's back here feeling the grief and the pain of not being able to convince you that this is the only way. There's no other way but this. Oh, we have accounts that we could... These accounts accumulate, folks, to preachers and elders. They accumulate, and that's why we age faster than other people, because we remember these times when I wish I could have said something to get that good, decent person to come home, to start over again, because we serve the God of a second chance. When I was in located work in Millersburg, Ohio, about 2.30 in the morning, these boys came up to the door. And knocked. It was promenade week. It was prom week. I said, what in the world are you doing here this time of morning? Where's Clarence? Uh, well, you know that long road that goes from here to Canton, Ohio, that, that is just straight as it can be? I said, yes. Well, you know that sharp curb at the end of it? I said, yes. 
Well, we flipped over and the car landed on Clarence and he didn't make it. Would you please baptize us? And we walked down the hill to the church building and I baptized those two boys. They're both deacons at the church in Millersburg today. But do you know who I think about a lot? I think about Clarence. Nice looking young man. Knew the truth as well as any of us. He'll never be able to be a father. He'll never have a life's work. He'll never reach the geezerhood age and enjoy his grandchildren. Because he's dead. And he will stay dead. And I wonder sometimes at the last thoughts that he had just before he breathed his last breath. I don't know your situation here. Nobody said anything to me. But I would have to believe that in an audience of this number, there are some of you who know that you're not nearly where you were a few years ago because the world sneaks in, doesn't it? It does to all of us. And so what I'm beseeching you to do I'm begging, as Paul did. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And it's not grievous, it's reasonable. There may be someone here who has never been baptized. I can't conceive of that, even though I wasn't baptized until I was 48. I can't imagine leaving those doors, being in an unsaved condition, and hoping that no semi hits me or thinking that maybe I won't die when I have this great pain in the center of my chest until I can get some assistance. We used to be in Vietnam gathered together before we would go out on patrol. Brother Steve, you have never heard such fervent prayer. I didn't say effectual. Oh, you have never, except in Las Vegas, I have never heard such fervent prayer. And when they made it safely back that night, if they did, they would renegotiate with God because they were going into Saigon. It has to be fervent. It has to be effectual. And so I beg you this morning, the only thing I can determine and guarantee is that you're alive at this moment. There's something or someone preventing you from coming here. It isn't God. There's one being left. And the devil may be seated very close to you and watching you right now. And the devil is saying, I thought I had them, but I'm not quite sure now because they look a little unsure of themselves. But if you can sit there and know that you should come and you don't, the devil can say, I've got you for another week. And all he needs to do is continue that until all of a sudden, one day, all of a sudden, all this will become so important to you as you reach your cycle of life and the end of it. Don't hesitate this morning when we sing this invitation song. Think of the words you're singing because I happen to think that you can lie in song. 
think of the words that you're singing as truth. And if you need to come, I'll meet you down here, and you can leave those doors in just a few minutes and feel so much better. Won't you do that as we stand and sing, please? <laughs>